1: Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show as we head into hour two of our daily three-hour tour. It is a delight to welcome back to the show Tom Klingenstein. He is the chairman of the Claremont Institute in an era where you're looking for think tanks that stand strong and boards and chairmen that stand strong in this war we find ourselves in. And I don't mean the war against terrorism or in Afghanistan. There are no questions to be asked about the strength of Tom Klingenstein. His most recent essay available at his own website, TomKlingenstein.com, is winning the Cold Civil War. Tom, thanks for uh, coming back to the Airwaves of Phoenix.
2: Well, pleased to be here.
1: Okay. I would say a good 99.9% of my audience thinks we are in something like what you describe, a Cold Civil War. You write, in a war you must play to win, but you cannot win against an enemy that has no name or has many names, identity politics, multiculturalism, anti-racism, the kind of stuff you and I have been talking about for years. You suggest woke communism or woke com for short. Start there because I love it and I'm going to take it. Talk to me about woke com.
2: Good stuff. I'm looking for people to take
1: it. I got it. Well, you got me. You may want to, <laughs> you may not want me, but you got me.
2: No, no, I'm I'm glad to have you. <laughs> um, I think we need a name that suggests totalitarianism, but is brought up today. Um that is brought up to date, and that's why it includes woke. So I think the other word, the other terms that we've been using Uh, just don't communicate enough of the totalitarian aspect, which is what we've got here. Um, We think about a traditional totalitarian regime as one where the state uses violence, usually arbitrary violence, to uh, control most aspects of public and private life. Well, we don't have that here, but we do have a state that, through the power of the purse, influences a lot. And where the state uh, leaves off, our business cultural uh, uh, regime takes over. You know, big business, entertainment, particularly big tech, education, and so forth. And so together, those institutions combined with the state act like um, a totalitarian regime. If I would can give an example of that, uh, last summer's riots, are a good example. They were sparked by woke agitators, woke intellectuals justified them, big corporate donors gave billions of dollars to the Black Lives Matter network, their press looked the other way, and politicians, Joe Biden on down, fan the flames. So that's how it works. And that's why um, I think the name is a good one as long as it catches on the other side wins i think when when coming up with names right they have they're very elusive they oh come yeah the name each week. Oh.
1: no no they, they they've got they've they've got they've got that 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 name branding down well and it, it's almost we're still trying to tie our shoes kind of line back to mark twain when we think about this let me let me push on this word communism, if I can, with you, Tom, and just think out loud with you, because I've I've been using it a lot myself lately, and by lately, I mean probably since about uh, April of last year. It's a word I was loath to use about describing movements that weren't avowedly com- that weren't upfront about them being communist in America. In other words, anything short of the CPUSA, I was I was loath to 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 use that label. And I have not been. And it started perhaps even when I saw what the founders of the BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, were saying and saying about their own training and their interviews. How strongly do you think that presence is in America? I think about it this way. We once had, I don't know, 20 years ago, one outwardly socialist member of Congress, avowedly. We now have about seven. How strongly do you think the threat of communism or communist thinking in America is right now?
2: I think it's very strong. and It's not because the majority of Democrats elected or citizens believe in communism, but that they are being dragged willingly, it seems, by people who do act like communists, in mm-hmm. this case woke communists. Mm-hmm. In a some degree, I'd say that. the term I use has marketing value. Mm -hmm. It's not that these people are literally Mm communists. They may be Marxists, but I don't know that that name or I don't think the name has quite the same power. Um, So, it's not everybody, it's not most Democrats, but it is the people who are leading the Democratic Party and as we saw last summer, it's BLM that's leading the party and they are most a validly
1: communist. So much so that this Biden administration's problem right now is the racial and minority makeup of the government of the Taliban. But we'll get to that at another time. I want to start with what you write in your great essay, Tom, about the lies of woke communism. There's something about the first lie you mention. I don't know if it's a cultural thing, Tom. I can't put my finger on it. But it grates against me more strongly than anything else, and it's that America is a racist nation. I don't know why I can't put my finger on it. Maybe it's the experience of my dad and grandfather, but I will tell you, nothing rubs me more wrongly than that.
2: Yep. Well, uh, it ought to rub you know rub you the wrong way, and what people ought to recognize is that's really the central element of the woke calm strategy. Because if they can convince us to say that we're systematically racist, then, then we're going to allow them to overthrow the system. I mean, after all, if the system is really rotten to the core, then we should throw out that system. And so that line, as well as the other line, need to be rebutted. What people have to understand is that lies eat out the soul of a nation. As Lincoln said, more or less, I'm paraphrasing, as you will notice that. that lies are more important than policy because it's the lies that make policy possible,
0: mm. right? Mm. So
2: we should be focusing first and foremost on the lies and rebutting them. I mean, eliminating CRT and all this other stuff, absolutely necessary. We ought to focus on it. But we ought to focus on the ideas, the lies, that give rise to things like critical race theory.
1: White, and yeah, go I, ahead. No, you keep go ahead. You go ahead.
2: I was going to say, you know, among the other lies that I talk about, there's a corollary to the. I call America systemically racist. Yeah. I call that the big lie. Uh uh-huh. But there are. There's a corollary to that lie. And that's the lie that we're about to be overrun by white supremacy. Right.
1: That's the word I was going to throw in there, white supremacy. I'd never heard, uh, by the way, I've never heard that word so much as in the past two years.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I ask people, well, find a white supremacist for me in uh, any position of authority. Mm -hmm. You just can't find them. You know, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is, you know, extremely liberal, they keep track of hate groups. They could only find 8,000 people who belong to hate groups. Now, I'm sure there are more than 8,000 white supremacists in America, but how, how many can there be if only 8,000 are willing to show their faces? You know, by reference, in the 1930s, there were 6 million people who belonged to the KKK when the, when the nation's population was a third of what it is today so this but again like the big lie people have to stand up and rebut it if they must rebut the lie that the police are racist that's another thing that's nonsense but we've allowed it to stand and by the way if we didn't have heather mcdonald um i think the lie would be cemented by the moment.
1: That's actually an important point too. But for handfuls of people, these lies would go unaddressed, and it depends I suppose on certain fields. Thank God for Heather McDonald in criminology and you and I could think of a few others in different areas. But you're right. You're right. Uh, the, the, The import of knowing who to go to, where to go to, and how to do the research, because the American people are what, Tom, as we head into the 20th commemoration annual commemoration of 9-11 we go from um from a very shall we say strong country one whose theme might be considered let's roll to a country now that seems to be happy to be pushed around and pushed around by progressive movements that can use any number of things to scare us whether it is racism or for that matter covid can we pick up on some of that when we come back Absolutely. Tom Klingenstein is our guest. He is the chairman of the Claremont Institute, his most recent winning the Cold Civil War, available at TomKlingenstein.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, chairman of the Claremont Institute. Mr. Tom Klingenstein is our guest. We are talking about his most recent essay, Winning the Cold War, wherein he uh, proposes a phrase uh, as uh, the phrase of our age as woke communism, that which we are fighting against. Woke com for short. Right, Tom? Um, Tom when we talk about – you talk about the big lie, America is racist, and then in your essay, you go into the lies of woke communism after that, the other woke lies of communism. There's a lot about race, and I agree with you on on what you write. What's interesting to me is um, how it came about, and isn't it odd at this late stage, post-Obama in fact – that we would have so much more discussion about racism and racialism in America. It's just an odd thing, almost feeling like a tactic of the left, almost feeling like we are replacing the class war with the race war here.
2: Yeah, it is amazing, and it's so unnecessary. I mean, we're throwing away this country. Mm -hmm. This is the greatest country. This is the country that's brought more prosperity, more freedom, to more people than any country in the history of the world. This is a country that brought freedom to millions. Progress that we've made on civil rights over the last 60 years is miraculous. And yet we decide after all this greatness and improvement that we're going to throw out the best country in the history of mankind. If there were ever an unforced error, this is it. And I think that we have the capacity to recover. The question is, do we have the will and do we have the leaders? And so far, I don't think we've had the leaders. Um, leaders were really stepping up and rebutting the lies. because as I said before, the lies that really matter. It's the lies that drive the policies. So people have to stand up and rebut the lies.
1: I and don't by ha- the way Yeah, go ahead. Please you No
2: know, I was going to say there are many lies. I in this uh, essay flash speech focus on the race related lies yeah. because I think they're the most important but I'm writing you know I'll write other speeches that'll talk about
1: Well, I agree with you that the race is the most important, and and so we're on the same set of pages on that, Tom. What I wanted to ask you about, and forgive if I mischaracterize, correct me if I mischaracterize. One of the interesting things I've noted about the Claremont Institute really since its inception, the the organization you chair, is that it worked maybe a little harder actually in the Republican Party and the conservative movement – than it did in the Democratic Party or against liberals trying to get the conservatives on board, uh, trying to get conservatism in America on the same uh, sheet of music or the same set of pages. Is that that fair? It's a small point. But is that where we need to work on first? Do we need – is our first enemy, enemy, our first opponent, the first maybe student, fellow conservatives and Republicans, or is it the left and liberals?
2: Well, I think you're right on both counts. Okay. Historically, um, the Claremont Institute has focused on brethren conservatives because, as Harry Joffa said, Joppa, as Seth knows, Claremont's intellectual patriarch, he said that if the nation is going to be saved, it's by conservatives mm-hmm. and politically by Republicans. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you know, I think that, yes, on your second point, that our focus ought to be on the conservative. We're not going to convince any liberals. I, I don't write to liberals. Okay. Uh, what I'm trying to do is explain the conservatives, explain the Republicans how we ought to think about what's happening today. Because unless we think about it properly, um, we're not going to do the right thing. Unless we understand where the enemy is going, we're not going to be able to head it off at the pass. So, for example, uh, last summer we started talking about defunding the police. You know, that made absolutely no sense. Of course, it doesn't make any sense. But I think if we understood some of the goals of woke communism, we wouldn't have been so surprised. Their goal generally is to achieve outcome equality for all groups. Over all areas of American life, and in particular, or one area, is in the prison population,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: right? So there's disproportionately number of blacks. We need to get that down. How do we do it? Well, one way we do it is we defund the police. Mm -hmm. We we might also decriminalize. <laughs> yes. Men.
1: Stop calling crimes crimes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah.
2: Okay. Right. Then Stop you
1: have less of it. Focus. Sure. I'm with you. I'm following or your logic. Not, go ahead. Yeah.
2: Or start uh, failing to enforce things that we still call crime. Right. Or early release the There's a whole bunch of the things. reason you
1: can't go shopping in San Francisco. I'm with you. I'm following you. Okay.
2: So, but I think my point here is, if we were clearer about their goals, the Wokan goals, I think we would be able to anticipate better than we do what they're going to do. I mean, for example, as was clear from the BLM mission statement, they want to destroy the family.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, if we know that, we'll start thinking about how they're going about it, and maybe we can head it off. So that's my point there. We have to understand our enemy. What it wants, and how it goes about getting what it wants. And I think our understanding is deficient. And I further think that politicians uh, who should be doing the explaining aren't. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think by and large, to the extent that there's a revolt, it's coming up from below. It's the parents who don't like this. America is racist. Yep. Right? That's where the action is from below but we also need
1: leadership above right and that let me focus let me stay with you on that question for a moment and we'll move to the left and the progressives in a second um if i can let's stay with the problem in our own house if we can call it that the conservative movement of the republican party for a sec tom in a way it's a tale of two cities isn't it in a way it's perhaps a better movement or a better party than it was, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years ago in some respects. In some respects, it's not. So you look at what this party, who this party is looking to right now, it's not looking at the mealy-mouthed dough faces. It's not looking for Mitt Romney's. It's looking at Donald Trump's and Ron DeSantis's and Larry Elder's and people like that, which I think is a healthy sign of a conservative movement, I I think, On the other hand, you do have um, a set of Republicans that abjures all that, does not like that. You have a Joint Chiefs of Staff chairman who thinks Lenin is the right author to read to understand America. How do you diagnose where the conservative movement is now? Can I ask you that on the other side of this break, and then we'll work on the progressives. Is that a fair question for after the commercial? Good question. All right. Tom Klingenstein, chairman of the Claremont Institute. His most recent essay-slash-speech, Winning the Cold War, available at TomKlingenstein.com. Critical reading and roadmap. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Tom Klingenstein, chairman of the Claremont Institute, is our guest. We're talking about... Winning the Cold Civil War, his most recent speech and essay available at TomKlingenstein.com. Tom, my question, how stands our movement to go into war, go into the war with the army we have and the army we want as conservatives? In some respects, I'd like to say it's maybe a stronger movement than it was 20 or 30 years ago with perhaps a higher number of people we might consider consistent and strong conservatives on the other hand, it's unfortunate we can name them on two hands. But what, what's your sense? Are, are, we doing, are we better as a movement than we were or are we weaker as a movement
2: than we were? Well, I don't know uh, the answer to that question exactly, but I will say this. There's a distinction between the conservative movement, by which I mean mostly intellectuals, and the Republican Party. Uh, the movement is split. I think. And the major default line is, I think, between those who think we're in a war, the Hermann Institute is in that that camp, and those who don't think we're in a war. One of the reasons that, you know, the conservatives who think we are in a war liked Trump, generally, because Trump was a wartime president. Um, So the conservative movement, is split I'm not sure it's in better shape. The Republican Party, I think, is in less good shape. There isn't that split. It doesn't seem to me, at least in the Senate, that there are many people who think and are willing to say this is a war. Too many Republicans and too many of the conservative think tanks, like Heritage, are still too stuck in the Reagan era of, um, uh, less government. You know, in, in, in that era, era, the choice was between big government and small government. High taxes, low taxes. That's not really the real choice. Today, the choice is, do you believe that America is good and so needs to be preserved, or do you think it's bad, systemically racist, and needs to be thrown out? See, I think on that
1: equation, it's a weaker movement than it used to be. On that question, we are a weaker movement, because I think at least during the real the original Cold War, conservative movement and an awful lot of Democrats who you might have even called conservative in some respects, they had no problem understanding that equation. I think the equation I think that difficulty now obtains, though.
2: Yeah, I think that. During the Cold War. Like during slavery, the party was made up of disparate elements, sure. but it cohered around opposition to slavery or opposition to um, communism. Mm-hmm. And as you say, it drew in a fair number of uh, Democrats.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Today, I think we ought to cohere, the Republican Party, against vote communism. That right. should be the slavery for communism of our time, and the party ought to make that the mission of the party. So it's not just a few people here and there, but it's the party. But as you say, the party ain't there. And the party leadership, people like Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy, I think they're talented operatives, mm-hmm. but I don't think they get the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Or the vision, because we have, if you believe that America is at stake, if you believe we are at war, you have to realize that the threat is then existential, and our hair should be on fire, and too few of us see enough of us with our hair on fire, right? Yes,
2: absolutely. And I think you recognize that if you're in a war, then you apply different strategies, Different rhetoric, different people, and in peacetime. And of course, as you just said, you have to be more urgent. It's not a time for compromise. It's not a time for imputing good motives uh, to your enemy. It's not a time always to be civil. Right? This is a war. Stability comes in peace.
1: Well. Whether you like rock and roll or the Bible, we all know there's a time for war and a time for peace, and we should know what time it is now. Tom, do you have one more segment in you to talk a little bit more about the left and progressivism, or do you got to run? You've been very generous with your time. I'll take either answer, obviously. Happy to stay. Thank you. Tom Klingenstein is our guest. He is the chairman of the Claremont Institute. We will be right back talking about the stakes in this war, where the progressives want to take us. And my big question for Tom, it's the question I ask almost all my guests and all of you, is what do we say to the apolitical who might be inclined Democrat or might be inclined Republican, the apolitical who gets a notice from their child about some new woke concept they're going to be given in school? Heck, maybe it's about transgenderism, if not racism. And the parent says, oh, that's a good idea. I've been reading about that. How do you handle that? and the cultural forces up against us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Privileged to have Tom Klingenstein, chairman of the Claremont Institute. Claremont.org, no I in Claremont, uh, is the website on his recent speech and essay, Winning the Cold Civil War. I got a lot of corrections during the break, Tom, from listeners saying you my my syntax was wrong. I, I I said if you believe in the Bible or rock and roll, you can believe in time for war and a war time for peace. I was I was told over the break you can believe in the Bible and rock and roll. Okay, so I I, I have to be more careful, Tom. There's another question I don't know the answer to. I don't know if you do. And that I don't know the answer is, I think, the crux of our problem because it's really an astonishing thing when you think about it. And that is, are there more supporters in America of Ilan Omar or more supporters in America of Ron DeSantis? I don't know the answer to that question. You might. But that I don't know bothers me and I think is a really remarkable point in this country's history if it's unknown.
2: Well, if more people like her, uh, then we're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I proceed on the assumption that Americans have a lot of common sense, and if people would just, on our side, stand up and say some commonsensical things, then they would respond. And I mean Democrats as well as Republicans.
1: You don't agree so that proceed. a rot has spread through the country yet. You you don't. like well,
2: be- I think. I think I think it has. Okay. The question is, how deep and can we recover? Okay. The people have to say the truth. They have to say we're not racist. They have to say a boy is not a girl, right? They have to say, um, you know, that we can't have open borders, because that's going to break up our culture and hurt freedom, right? It isn't racist. It's just the opposite to keep our borders closed. Um. In fact, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I think people begin to respond to some of these things when it affects them personally. So, for example, my sister has a son in the Marine. He's 6'3". She's very liberal. But she says to herself, gee, if he's wounded, do I want a woman or a man um, rescuing him? Well, that's a pretty simple answer. If you're a parent and you have a daughter that's running track, do you really want a biological boy to be competing with your daughter? I mean, you know, you may be, you might have said, well, I'm sort of for transgender stuff. But when it hits you personally mm-hmm. or criti- critical race theory, mm-hmm. you know, people would say, yeah, we're racist. We should study more about slavery. But when they see what's happened, When they see that we're dividing race, when they see that their white child is being put on the back burner, as I heard one mother say, at that point, they begin to rebel. So part of what Republicans have to do is make it personal. And to some degree, it's happened. right? And that's why you're seeing uh, the revolt uh, that you are seeing.
1: I love the idea of these parents having woken up, if I can say that, to the curriculum their kids have been force-fed, and taking over, or at least stepping up to speak at some of these school board meetings. I think running for school board at this point might be the most patriotic thing a conservative can do who isn't, you know, otherwise engaged in other in other business for the movement. And,
2: and I, I think that's true, yeah. but. I'm working on this in the state of Maine, okay. which, as you, you know, Seth, is where I have a summer home. Yeah, And we're trying to change, get rid of critical theory, uh, replace it with a more patriotic education, something like what the Hillfield College came up with. Um, but we have a systemic problem. It's not just the school board. It's the teachers mm-hmm. and principals and superintendents, mm-hmm. right, and mm-hmm. the unions and Department of Education. And so we got to understand the system. It's not just a question of a legislator passing a law saying, you know, no CRT. Mm-hmm. That's not going to get it very far. But well, schools of education, that's another one. In Maine, as I guess like most states, most of the teachers— are taught by a school of education here who's just teaching woke all the way down. That's right. So that's got to be changed. The point is, there are a lot of things that have to be changed and we have to think a little more holistically.
1: I want governors to be more serious about appointing boards of regents, as Reagan did. I mean, yes, but, but I think your focus is right, as I hope mine is, which is it has to start at some level in the education system. You cannot sustain this country where we graduate Eight million high school seniors and college seniors every year drench; eighty percent of whom are drenched in socialism. Those receipts are now, now coming I, to us.
2: Yeah, I think. Look, you cannot teach your citizens, current and future ones, to hate or disdain their country, and expect to have a country right. for very long. Right. Right. It's not very complicated, but we need our leaders to step up and explain.
1: When it comes to those leaders and the kinds of things, the kinds of areas they focus on and, ta- and 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 aim at, talk about whether they're congressmen, whether they're senators, whether they're governors, whether they're school board members. Tom, um, tell me if you if tell me where you would begin to instruct them with with what book or essay? What is the best thing to get them to understand why America? Is special and not because it's racist, a downmarket commodity, barbaric, an oppressor. Where do you start? Where do you start, your friends?
2: Well, a subscription a to the Claremont Review, Review
1: of Books, obviously. Right, right. We start there. <laughs>
2: okay. And uh, read my speech and listen to it. I think actually listening to it, if you have the talk, yeah. your mm-hmm. audience has. Time. Okay. I think in a way that's more powerful. Um, But, you know, I don't, you know, there's a long list of things, I guess. You know, the first one that came to mind when you were talking about, gee, what would I read? It might be a book by Diana uh, Schaub Mm -hmm. and and the two castes. It's called What So Proudly We Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good compendium of short stories and songs. Um, that represent the goodness of America. I mean, if people are sort of more ambitious, you know, Tocqueville's Democracy in America is obviously uh, the best thing, I think, to explain um, what makes America unique. All the stuff by Wilfred McClay uh, a oh,
1: I'm going to have him on tomorrow with 9/11 thoughts. He's fantastic. You bet.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll tell him that I plugged him. Okay, uh, I, will, I will. He's, uh, he's he's really good. Oh yeah, he's really
1: good. Oh yeah, oh yeah.
2: And uh, yeah.
1: Well, Tom, you are too. I I mean, thank you, thank you for obviously your time here with us, but thank you for your leadership in this movement. Certainly. Our, uh, our think tank, um, but really in this movement. It's leaders like you that are that are going to lead us to victory, and I'm proud to be whatever you want me to be in this movement, your sergeant, your lieutenant, whatever. But I'm going to start using Wokecom. Good, good.
2: I, I, I appreciate that you are always very supportive.
1: speed to you, Mr. Klingenstein, and thank you for the house that you maintain so well. We wouldn't be a house divided, folks, if we could just simply... Look at things with common sense. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Dana's in Chandler. Happy New Year. Dana, how are you?
3: Uh, I'm great, Seth. How are you?
1: Just great. Thank you.
3: So I have a question to ask when we're talking about now, apparently, employers with 100 or more employees, that their employees will have to be vaccinated. So the punitive nature is if you want to earn a living, you have to you have to get the shot. And or, or I think there might a-
1: be I, I have to read the full speech he was giving it while I was getting on air. But I think I think I think it's vaccinated or tested twice a week. But in any event, we're on the same track. But go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay.
3: So, uh, so to, to earn a living and to pay taxes, I have to have a shot or I have to be tested. Right. Now, my taxes go to support people that don't work. Right. And those people that don't work don't have to have the shot and don't have to be tested. Correct. It's kind of like the drug issue. You know, if I have to be drug tested to have a job and my money goes to pay welfare benefits to people that don't have to be drug tested, why do I have to take a shot to go to work to make money to pay somebody else mm-hmm. who doesn't have to work who doesn't have to get a shot? So mm-hmm. why are we saying the first people that should be lining up for these mandatory shots should be anybody on the public dole? Shouldn't they? I would think I mean, so. If, if that's if that's how this is going to go, why why you know if I have to work to feed my family and I have to have a shot to do that, you should have a shot to accept my money that feeds your family.
2: Well, uh,
1: uh, yes. And it would be a better world, wouldn't it, if we didn't have to mandate any of this, right? I mean, it would be a better world. I don't know. This is an interesting question. I don't know what it would cost the government to do a campaign, a publicity campaign on obesity. Let's just take that for a second, okay? On obesity and COVID, on obesity and health risks, I don't know what it would cost. I've broken these numbers down before, but I'm going to bet you dollars to donuts that it would be infinitesimally less expensive to do that campaign than what Joe proposed today and that it would save more lives.
3: I I think a campaign on
1: obesity would save more lives than what Joe Biden is proposing Because of what I think of the vaccines and how effective they are, what Israel is seeing. And yet what we know about obesity, what we know about obesity and covid, I think it would be a lot less expensive than what Joe Biden proposed today. I take your point on welfare. It's a good one. It's a very good one. And if you wanted to start with I don't know what percentage of welfare recipients have been vaccinated or not. But we're talking about how many welfare recipients in America. How many are there? Could there be 55, 60 million? Round best guess. Start there. Or just stop mandating and let Americans be Americans and quit telling us things that just turn out to be untrue with the greatest of certainty in which you tell us. them. We'll be right back. Dan Glirnter coming right up.